Well, hey, friends, it's great to be with you. Hello to you who are in a microsite or online right now. I got to jump in chat for a second, see a few of you on there. So glad you're here with us today as we continue to tell your story. Now, of course, it's God's story, too. It was God's story first, and it's our story as well. But because it's God's story and our story, that makes it your story. We're talking about the story of this church. Uh, we've been, this is our 150th year. We celebrate our birthday in November, but we're going to be talking about it every once in a while throughout the year because there's a lot to celebrate. And, and you might wonder, do all churches make it that long? Well, no. Uh, most churches don't make it five years. And of those that make it five, most don't make it 50. And of those that make it 50, most don't make it 150. And it can happen for all kinds of reasons, you know, sometimes the wrong person moves or things change or the world changes or whatever, and that can bring a church to the end of its natural life cycle. But it's pretty cool when a church does make it, especially when a church makes it and has visions that, that maybe their future, they're going to do even more than they did in their past. That's a pretty cool thing. And you might be wondering, how does a church survive? Like, what's the secret ingredient to surviving 150 years and longer. Well, I don't know that I have all the secret ingredients figured out, but I know one thing, that there are two practices that fall under one name without which a church cannot survive 150 years. Two practices, one name. The, the first practice is this. You have to have generations of people that are trying to learn from and follow Jesus. And the second practice is like it. You have to have generations of people that are trying to teach and model following Jesus. Got to have lots and lots of people trying to learn and follow Jesus and lots and lots of people trying to teach and model following Jesus. The one name we have for both these practices is the name discipleship. Being disciples and making disciples, that is how a church survives. About 20 years ago, I uh, read in a book, I think it was by Mike Breen, this statement that if you try to start a church, you might get some disciples. But if what you do is make disciples, you will always get a church. That's what the church is, is a group of people who are disciples who are making disciples. And you keep at that long enough and, and you've got a, got a church. My grandpa was a preacher basically his whole life from 17 to like 74 or something like that. And um, near the end of his life, um, he had Parkinson's, and, and near the end of his life, he spent a lot of time kind of reflecting on the failures of his life. It was actually kind of a dark time for him. And um, one day we were talking, and he said to me, he said, Ethan, I tried so hard to build a church, but I worry that I just built a crowd. Now, now, I want to be clear. I think his assessment of his ministry 
was probably too negative, affected by the pain of his disease. I think he actually had a pretty impactful disciple-making ministry. But the distinction he's observing there is a real one. There's a difference between a crowd and a church. There's a difference between a whole bunch of people and disciples. And disciples, that's the thing Jesus left us here to make. Here's the way Jesus puts it, Matthew 28. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then in the midst of that, worship and doubt, right in the middle of the worship and the doubt, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I love the bookends on this text, right? Did you notice that? Jesus starts by saying, I have all the power in the universe. And he ends by saying, I will never leave your side. Like those are pretty good bookends, right? Like, like imagine if you had to do something that was hard or scary and you weren't sure how it was going to turn out. And as you showed up to do this hard, scary thing, like some dude who was a friend of yours showed up with you and said, hey, just so you know, check this. I have all the power in the universe and I'm going to do this thing with you. Like, you would feel better about that, right? Like, whatever you had to do, no matter how scary or how impossible it seemed or how afraid you were of the outcome or how sure you were you were going to fail, like, if the dude next to you was, I have all the power in the universe and I'm going to see this through, you would feel better about things. And that's what Jesus does for all those who are his disciples. He says, I've got all the power. I'm never going to leave you. And in the middle of that, he gives them one command. Go make disciples. It must be pretty important if it's stuck in the middle of that, right? And so, if we are going to get this whole following Jesus thing right, we've got to be clear on what it is he told us to do. What is a disciple? Because Jesus is picking this word on purpose because it was like a super normal word. Like he's picking the most normal word he can. Like we've sort of maybe turned it into a religious word. It wasn't a religious word when Jesus picked it. You know, maybe, you know, there's a, there's a denomination that's called the disciples of Christ. But, but Jesus doesn't mean you have to be one of them, you know. Uh, or maybe sometimes we think that the word disciple means a believer, right? Someone who believes the right stuff. And listen, it's super important to believe the right stuff, but that's not what it means. Or maybe we think a disciple is a belonger, right? Someone who's in the right group or in the right club or belongs to the right church. And, and listen, belonging to a church is super important. It's good stuff, but that's not what the word disciple means. It's just the most normal word Jesus could use for someone who is learning from someone else. If you wanted to be a baker, if you wanted to be a blacksmith, if you wanted to be a farmer in the ancient world, you became a disciple of someone who was already a baker or a blacksmith 
or a farmer. You apprenticed your life to them and you learned what they could teach you and you did what they did. And when you had learned what they taught and did what they did long enough, they would say, okay, you're now a baker. You're now a blacksmith. You're now a farmer. Go be the thing that you've, because you've been my disciple. And so now you've learned how to do it. And that's just what Jesus is saying. He said, I want you to learn what I do and then do what I do. Like that's the whole thing. Learn and and follow. That's the whole thing. And the first half of discipleship is to be a disciple. Jesus said, follow me. And that never was just a metaphor. Like that never was just some sort of metaphorical spiritual language. Jesus actually meant for us to be honest about where we are. Like, that's how it starts, right? Just tell the truth about what your deal is. And then learn what Jesus is all about. And then if there's any gap between your life and Jesus' life, if like there's any distance between you and Jesus, you just close the gap. You just follow Jesus. You just go over, get moving to where Jesus is. And like all the time, Jesus is just keep, like, like he, his main thing he said to people was variations on, hey, you, come follow me. Like he just said it all, all the time, right? He keeps repeating. John 8, verse 31. To the Jews that had believed him, again, believing in Jesus is super important. It means you've trusted in him. You trust what he says. You trust who he is. Super awesome. It's just not all of it. He says to those, if you hold to my teaching, and hold in this case means if you practice my teaching, well, then you're really my disciples. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, you you can't know the truth just by believing it. You don't actually know it, Jesus says, until you put it into practice. Uh, Luke chapter 9, he says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake will save it. And like all the time, Jesus is saying this. He's just saying, hey, you, follow me. Remember, you're just just honest about where you are. Learn where Jesus is. Observe any gap between where you are and where Jesus is. And then you just go that way. You just follow him. And that's what it means to be a disciple, to learn and to follow. Paul, again, all throughout Paul's ministry, Paul's an early church planter, wrote a whole bunch of the Bible. He's kind of training Christians how to be Christians. One of his most common things he reminds them is that they've got to imitate and act like Jesus. Uh, Philippians 4, 8, 9, he says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about that. And if he'd only stopped there, we would have been believers, right? Think about it. But then he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. There's that same rhythm. Learn and then follow. It's just that that's what disciples do. Uh, He mixes it up a little bit in 1 Corinthians. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, sometimes the way we learn from Jesus is we learn from others who are learning from Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But always and always again, it's the same consistent call. If we are going to respond faithfully to Jesus, the first thing he's calling us to do is to be a disciple. 
Not just be a believer, not just be a belonger, but to be a disciple who's learning from and following Jesus. Preacher named Francis Chan tells a story that illustrates this for me well. Uh, he, had, uh, he had a teenage daughter at the time, and I've never had a teenage daughter, so I can't pe- speak to the truth of this, but he says that sometimes teenage daughters have to be reminded to clean their room. Again, I don't know if this is true. This is just what Francis Chan says. He says they have to be reminded to clean their room. He says, imagine this scenario. He says, and imagine a father said to his daughter, daughter, go clean your room. And the daughter listened and and immediately left. And the dad's feeling pretty good about that. And, And two minutes later, the daughter comes back. And the daughter says, father, I can tell those words are important to you. And because they're important to you, they're important to me. And so I have memorized your word to me, Father. See, you said to me, daughter, go clean your room. I've memorized these words. And the father was like, well, that's great. Um, I just have one thing to say to you. Daughter, go clean your room. And she leaves. He's like, okay, got through this time. Two hours later, she comes back. He says, so is your room clean? She says, no, but I have done something better. Your words are so dear to me. And I want everyone to know how dear your words are to me. So I have done more than memorize them, Father. I have cross-stitched them onto a pillow that even now sits buried in dirty clothes on my bed. But I promise you, it is there. And cross-stitched on this pillow are your beautiful words to me, Father. Daughter, go clean your room. The father now, on the edge of very frustrated, says to his daughter, Daughter, go clean your room. And she leaves saying, I hear you, father, and I know what to do now. Now, he doesn't see her for a while. Two weeks later, she comes back to him. And he says, Daughter, it's so good to see you again. She says, And I, you, father... For in the last two weeks, I have gathered together a small group with all of my sisters, for we are all your daughters, and we have been studying your word to us, worshiping and giving thanks that you would call us daughters and that you would care enough about us to hope that our rooms would be clean. Thank you. We weren't sure what to call it, so we called it a dad's words Study. That's what we call it. Dad's word study. It, it doesn't sound great, but that's kind of what we're calling it. And we meet, we're going to meet every other week uh, over Zoom uh, for a dad's word study and until the pandemic's over. And then we're going to meet for coffee again like we used to, you know, for a dad's word study. Because these words matter so much to us. What does the dad do, right? You know? What more can the dad say, you know? The disciple is the one who learns and follows. I want to be clear, in case you wonder, I think memorizing Scripture is awesome, and it will help you learn and follow. I think cross-stitching Scripture onto pillows is awesome. And those little things, the little cross-stitch they put, the sampler things, you know, I like those, you know, put it on a poster, as long as it helps you learn and follow. I even think Bible studies are awesome. I'm going to talk about how you should get into one at the end of this message. As long as it helps you learn and follow. But discipleship is about learning and following. 
The disciple learns when Jesus says, care for the poor and love your neighbor and love your enemy and forgive the one who wronged you and commit to worship and commit to generosity and pursue sexual purity and care for the oppressed and resist racism and honor your father and mother. And the disciple learns that Jesus taught that and did that. And then the disciple follows in that same way. I, I've got a little chart here that I want that'll help you because this is super complicated. But, but so, so here's the chart here. So this is Jesus up here. And this is you down here. And, and, and you're trying to do two things. You're trying to learn and you're trying to follow. These are the two things you're trying to do. Learn and follow. We'll see if I make it through the sermon before my marker runs out, okay? This is what you're trying to do, learn and follow. And, and, and what we saw in, in, in God's word is that there are kind of two ways we do this. One way is we study Jesus directly. We study scripture. We spend time in prayer. We try to, we, remember that thing we said, we, we know where we are. We're honest about what's going on in our life. Just tell the truth, admit it. And that's called confession. Just admit what's going on in your life. Study what's happening in Jesus. And then we, we learn and follow from Jesus. The other thing Paul showed us though is this. Paul says, Paul says, you imitate me. That's this. As I imitate Christ. That's what Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so sometimes the way we learn to follow Jesus is that there's like some person in the middle. And they're learning from and following Jesus. And we look at their example and we learn from their example and, and we learn from and follow Jesus. These are, the, these are the two ways. And what you need to know is that the most consequential decision of your life, like the, the turning point decision of your life, is if you decide to do this right here, to learn and follow Jesus. You decided those two things. It's the most consequential decision of your life. But it, it's only the most consequential decision of your life if you make it every single day. Like, like making it once will change your trajectory. It'll permanently change your eternal destiny. Making it every single day will change your life. Just every single day, I'm going to learn from and follow Jesus. And this, this super complicated chart right here, is the first half of discipleship. The second half of discipleship, though, that's the actual command, right? That's the thing Jesus said, is to make disciples. Having begun to be a disciple, the command we encounter is to make disciples. And I get it. I know the counter-argument that you're already preparing because I have this counter-argument prepared as well. You're like, that's super. And as soon as I'm really good at being a disciple, I will totally start making disciples. Like, as soon as I'm like, you know, got a little better at that. But there are two problems with that argument. The, the first is that you're never going to be that good. Like, don't kid yourself. You're never going to be so good at being Jesus' disciples that you're like, I'm ready. I, I got this. Like, I don't know how Paul could ever bring himself to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. How could you say that without fear and trembling, knowing that the next thing you're going to do is trip over your own sin, fall flat on your face, and embarrass you and anybody who's trying to follow you, right? 
But nevertheless, he dares say it. So the first thing is you're never going to be that good. So don't kid yourself. The second thing is, though, if you're trying to be a disciple and the thing disciples do is learn and follow Jesus and the thing Jesus said was make disciples, then you can't actually be a disciple until you are working to make. You haven't even gotten started because it was the big thing he said, right? I have all the power. I'll never leave you. Make disciples. So you can't actually be a disciple until you've started trying to make a disciple. Check out what Paul says to Timothy. Paul was a guy who'd been a follower of Jesus for a long time. He'd planted a lot of churches. Timothy was relatively new in his ministry. Paul's near the end of his ministry, and he writes this to Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, this text is super important, but it's also crazy complicated. So I think we might need another diagram so that we can understand this text because it's a really, really complicated text. And I know most of you are probably confused by it right now. So let's, let's just go through it here, right? Okay, so there's Paul. Right here, Paul. There's Paul. And Paul teaches Timothy. I'm not sure why Paul gets all caps and Timothy doesn't. Maybe it's because Paul wrote part of the Bible or something. I don't know. Okay, whatever. But okay, Paul teaches Timothy. Paul teaches Timothy to teach other people. That's what he teaches Timothy. And in particular, he says, what I taught you in the presence of many witnesses, you teach to other people who will teach other people. So this is what that verse looks like. Paul taught Timothy, and he tells Timothy, what I taught you, you teach to people who will teach people. That's four generations of following Jesus. That's pretty good, right? In fact, we're 150 years old. That's about four generations of following Jesus. I mean, not biological generations, but it'd be easy for us to find lots of people in this church who they know people who know people who helped found this church. That wouldn't be hard at all to go back 150 years like that. And so this is how you sustain a church for 150 years. But here's the question. What if you wanted to sustain it longer than that? You know what I'm saying? Like, because people don't live forever. See, here's the thing. I know that this isn't the end of the story. And let me explain to you how I know, and here's where things get complicated. I know that this isn't the end of the story because Timothy was told to teach people who would teach people everything that Paul taught Timothy to teach the people who would teach the people. And if Timothy taught these people who would teach people everything that Paul taught Timothy to teach the people who would teach the people, then when Paul taught these people to teach these people everything, I mean, I'm sorry, when Timothy taught these people to teach these people everything that Paul taught Timothy to teach these people to teach these people, one of the things that Timothy would have taught these people to teach these people was the very thing that Paul taught Timothy to teach these people who would teach these people, which is that when these people have taught these people, these people must teach people. 
And now you're thinking, okay, five generations. Now that's how you get past 150 years. Except here's what I know. These people taught these people everything that these people taught these people to teach these people. And these people taught these people to teach these people everything that Timothy taught these people to teach these people to teach these people. And Timothy taught these people to teach these people everything that Paul taught Timothy to teach people who would teach people. So when Timothy taught these people to teach people who would teach people, these people must have known that they must teach people who would teach people. And if these people taught these people what these people taught these people to teach these people, then when these people taught these people, they would have taught these people too. Teach people, exactly. That's what would have happened. And you're thinking to yourself, we're out of paper, so he has to stop. But I have another page. So when those people, no, I'm just kidding. We're done, okay? But you get the point, right? By instituting that the way we teach people is to teach people who will teach people, Paul has established a permanent move of God's Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Everyone who is called a disciple is called to learn and to follow and to teach and to model. Maybe you think you're here, right here, okay? Think about the person who taught you to follow Jesus. Maybe not everything. Maybe they just taught you one thing. Maybe they taught you how to park cars in the parking lot. Maybe they taught you how to care for the poor. Maybe they taught you how to bridge racial division. I don't know. They taught you one thing about Jesus. They just taught you one little Jesus skill. That person taught you because the person that taught them taught them to teach you. And that person taught the person who taught you because the person who taught them taught them to teach people who would teach people. Which means when that person taught you, they taught you to follow Jesus. So think about the actual person who taught you to follow Jesus. Maybe it was a, a parent, or maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, or maybe they're sitting next to you in the pew right now. When they taught you to follow Jesus, they taught you so that you would teach people. You have not fully started learning and following until you have started teaching and modeling. So real quickly, I'm going to be real specific with you. I'm going to give you a tool here that's been helpful to me. How do you actually do it? I mean, I think the evidence is, is overwhelmingly clear from Jesus' command to Paul's example that anyone who is learning and following from Jesus is called to teach and model Jesus. Like, that, there's no, you don't getting out of both halves of discipleship. But maybe the, the obstacle isn't that you don't want to do it or don't think you should but do it, but you don't know how to do it. So I'll just be super practical. This is the, one of the, it can, it can be better than this. This isn't the best way. It's just a super simple way. And you can take notes on this or go watch the video later or just try and Remember, it's that simple. I don't even have to put it on. A, I know this, this chart is complicated. I know you'll never remember that chart. What I'm about to tell you is, is super simple, okay? Here's the super simple thing. To be a disciple, we said I'm honest about where I am. I learn where Jesus is, and then I follow. To make a disciple, it's the same three steps. You just get to know someone. Start by get to know where they are. What's going on in their life? What are they struggling with? What are they happy about? Get to know them. With them, get to know Jesus and where Jesus is. 
And then when you observe a gap, you just point in Jesus' direction. Now, you can't follow for them. That's their part of being a disciple. But making a disciple, it really is as easy as know them, know Jesus, point. Know them, know Jesus, point. Being a disciple, know yourself, know Jesus, follow. Make a disciple, know them, know Jesus, point. That's it. So what's your plan? And just be crystal clear, if you don't have a plan for learning and following, and you don't have a plan for teaching and modeling, there is a gap in your discipleship. You're not all in right now. I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. You're not all in if you don't have a plan for both of those. So where are you learning and following? Are you studying God's word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you in a group or others where you can do the imitate them as they imitate Jesus thing that Paul talks about? You got a plan for that? Maybe you need to get started in that. And in a little bit, we're going to sing a song and you could come talk to me and pray with me during the song if you wanted to. If you wanted to get started learning and following from Jesus, he'll save your life. He's got all the power in the universe. He'll never leave you. And in between, he's going to teach you how to, how to follow him. Maybe you want to get started with that. Or maybe you want to re-up and just say, this semester, this year, this month, this day, I'm going to learn and follow Jesus. And the flip side, I just want to say, what's your plan for teaching and modeling following Jesus? Some of you got a plan, right? You, you teach the fifth grade Sunday school class, or you're a youth sponsor, or whatever. You gotta, you're mentoring three people over coffee. You, there's a, a dude at work you take out for lunch every other week. You're just trying to get to know him so you can help him know Jesus and point. Awesome. If you got a plan, more power to you. If you don't have a plan, though, if you're not doing this for even one person right now, there's a gap in your discipleship. That's all I'm saying. There's a gap. Because everybody who's in with Jesus is learning and following, teaching and modeling. That's what he said. If you want a place where you could get started, I will be super specific. We got a thing we're launching in a couple weeks called Lobby Groups. You know, it's hard to get to know each other in this COVID world and hard to get connected and make a connection and find the people who can help form you into Christ. And we, in normal times, we do that in the church lobby. Well, you can't hang out in the church lobby for another couple months here. So um, we've got a thing we're doing called Lobby Groups starting in February. Maybe you want to jump into that February 7th and February 10th. The details will be announced over the next couple weeks. So maybe you could, that could be, that's my thing. That's going to be my strategy where I can learn and follow Jesus and model and teach Jesus. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something else, but I'm just going to be super blunt with you. If it's not something, then it's nothing. Like, those are the only two options. If you don't have a plan, then you don't have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, there's a gap in your discipleship. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray that we would rise to the call of being real disciples who are ready to learn and follow from Jesus and who are then ready with fear and trembling, trusting in Christ's power and presence to model and teach what we have learned. 
this is how you sustain your church. This is what we're called to do. And so I just pray that we would be a people in this day and this year, as we have for 150 years, who are obeying you and making disciples. May that be true of us today. We pray this in Jesus' name.